Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Capital Inc.'s virtual uh, investor forum. So I'm Randy Givens, head of the Maritime Shipping Equity Research Group here at Jefferies. Uh, today, we have a star-studded panel of five of the top executives in one of the most global industries around the world, dry bulk shipping. So on the panel today, we have Mr. Martin Wade, CEO of Grinrod Shipping Holdings. Martin, if you want to wait. Uh, Dr. Lucas Barman Paris, President and Director of Safe Bulkers. There he is. Mr. Robert Bugby, President of Scorpio Bulkers. Mr. Stamatis Santanis, Chairman and CEO of Synergy Maritime Holdings. And Mr. Hamish Norton, President of Star Bulk Carriers. Awesome. Well, we have uh, plenty to discuss and only about 40 minutes to do so. So uh, let's jump right in. You know, clearly dry bulk market remains weak. We've seen headline cape size rates under 10,000 a day all year, currently below 4,000 a day. Uh, obviously, we expected some seasonal weakness with, with Chinese New Year. Um, and then I've heard that Chinese iron ore and soybean imports were actually up uh, kind of during this time. However, uh, obviously, with coronavirus, economies shutting down um, pretty much literally uh, around the world. Um, how do we compare this kind of current weak market uh, that we saw to the weak market last year uh, in the first quarter of 2019 following the Brucutu Dam failure in Brazil? So I guess, Hamish, we'll start with you since you have the most Cape sizes on the panel. Yes. Um, uh... That is that is uh, that is true, and for the moment, unfortunately, true. Hopefully, that changes. So, you know, the dry bulk market always experiences a seasonal dip in the first quarter, and uh, you know, basically, forty-six percent of of dry bulk cargoes move in the first half versus fifty-four in the second half. So, this is not a complete shock. But, um, you know, Brazilian iron ore exports are one of the main drivers and they are down. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously last year the dam failure um, accentuated the downturn in first half iron ore cargoes. Um, and so, you know, the comparison to last year is a bit, uh, let's say, misleading because last year was such a low base. Uh, you know, the other thing that's affected charter rates is that the, the switch to expensive compliant fuel um, caused time charter equivalent rates to drop, uh, you know, as, as voyage rates, at least for a while, were flat. Um, and, um, you know, uh, there, there was a series of disruptions in, in Brazil and Australia and, you know, it looks to us like, you know, Brazil and Australia iron ore exports were down something like 10% year on year during January and February. Um, but, you know, COVID-19 is affecting all nations. It's certainly affecting Brazil at this point, somewhat affecting Australia. So, uh, you know, it's an inevitable disruption and hopefully it, it uh, reverses quickly. Sure. Well, yeah, you know, uh, spot rates could obviously significantly improve with a economic recovery kind of post-COVID-19, uh, you know, if and when, obviously, we, we get to that here, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, but the one-year, three-year time charter rates 
currently around where they were at this time a year ago, right? So how has the operational strategy kind of changed uh, in terms of spot versus term business? And is there much liquidity in the one, two, maybe three year time charter market? Uh, so Stomatis, I'll have you kind of start on this. And if others, again, want to chime in, feel free to do so. Well, thank you, Ryan. Um, first of all, if I may add to what uh, Hamish just said, um, demand for iron ore is uh, continues to be very strong. We see the iron ore prices um, in Brazil, uh, sorry, in China, uh, both spot and the futures uh, to be one of the highest. Uh, they are hovering between $85 and $90 uh, per ton. So, you know, uh, price is an indicator that demand for iron ore and especially the higher quality of iron ore coming out of Brazil uh, remains very strong. And, uh, you know, I second uh, Hemi's uh, point about Brazilian exports. So uh, I'm sure that once uh, the Brazilian uh, export situation uh, normalizes again, we will see a very, very strong recovery in the rates. Going uh, to your question now about spot and um, period rates, um, unfortunately, uh, there's no such thing as a period market. I mean, outside uh, from whatever area the FFAs are covering, which is usually short and anywhere between, let's say, six and 12 months or something like that, we do not really see any long-term uh, demand for period right now. So, uh, you know, we're, we're all talking about spot market these days. And just to to add to what Stamatis said, you know, even if there were liquidity in the period market, in the dry bulk business, you have to be extremely concerned about the credit of your charterer. And the longer the term of the charter, the more concerned you have to be about the credit. You know, the credits in the dry bulk chartering market are not often as good as the credits in the longer term tanker chartering market. Obviously there are exceptions. There are the large mining companies, the large utilities, but most charters one would have to be very cautious about. I agree with that. All right, you know, looking into some demand topics, obviously given the 21 day shutdown being implemented by India, how meaningful will this be for Indian coal imports um, here in the second quarter? And then in contrast, China seems to be starting to see some recovery, right? So what are you seeing in terms of import activity into China? Uh, Lucas, what are your thoughts here? Uh, look, uh, I mean, uh, we have people in China and we monitor the situation very closely. Uh, I think that China is in a recovery mode right now and uh, uh, gradually, they are introducing uh, in uh, uh, they, they stopped the internal uh, uh, transportation difficulty that we used to have in the past, uh, and only people coming from abroad uh, have this 14 days quarantine. And it seems that China, uh, the, the Chinese trade is improving in India. Uh, it's uh, something which is uh, somehow new. And uh, we want to see how this will develop. We think that at the end of the day, uh, all uh, the importing countries uh, will have to operate uh, from, from uh, some point and onwards. Uh, so even if there is a disruption, this, will, this disruption will stay for, uh, uh, let's say, maybe a few weeks uh, or a few days, and then there will be solutions. Can I just add, can I just add that, Andy? 
it's interesting because, of course, we're getting a knee-jerk reaction. Every country suddenly goes 21 days, India, South Africa uh, announced a few days ago. And then I think governments realise that there are strategic uh, uh, cargoes. I mean, in India's case, they've got to keep the lights on, they've got to feed people, similar to South Africa. So I think what governments are having to do is then make a call on what is strategic, what do we need to import, export. Obviously, foreign currency for some of these countries is very important. But, but it, it's, it, I think it's still early days, but I agree with Lucas. We're in for a couple of, couple of weeks of, of disruption before countries work out. But someone like India, they need the electricity. And if nothing else on this market, you've got to feed, you've got to feed your people and keep the electricity on. Yeah, that's fair. All right, hey, hey Robert, uh, given the quarantine lockdown, you know, China is still ex increasing their imports of pork uh, while the sow herd continues to recover from the swine flu. So are you seeing a continued impact on soybean demand? Uh, or is there a substitution effect happening uh, with that product? Well, we're seeing good encouraging signs so far from the you know, new Brazilian crop that exports there are certainly moving up from last year. Um, we can see just generally in the rates of the smaller vessels, whether they're handies or ultramaxes, that those markets are certainly benefiting from the still, you know, the increasing activity from China. Um, and so in that sense you know that's that's some form of optimism that to you know to echo the other speakers that you know china you know, is keeping the lights on china is feeding its people and china is now you know trying to get their economy and their their work and manufacturing up so you know we 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 faced these crises before in an industry i think every single speaker has been in, you know, obviously not the same situation, but similar situations in shipping markets, and we we all just have to find a way to to get through it. And the optimism for this is that you know, the central governments, and as we go through, will be will be hell bent on keeping employment, and as the previous speakers have said, feeding their population and moving forward. Yeah, Martin, kind of back to you. Obviously, Grinrod focusing on, on the handy size, supermax sectors. Um, so there seems to be some maybe unrest at some of these South American grain exporting ports. So is there still a risk that coronavirus causes some disruptions there uh, in Brazil and Argentina? And how serious is this to the grain trade? Well, obviously, if, if it does develop, it's going to be very serious. Um, I see that certain Argentinian terminals decided that they were going to ban all ships, but, but the government, central government, basically overruled that. So provided the countries in the background are actually talking to the people and being honest with the population about the spread of this disease, what it actually means, uh, I would hope it would go ahead. And a lot of these terminals are pretty automated these days, so the actual risk should be minimal. Obviously, ships coming in, all the crew stay on board. There's none there, so it's their own, own staff in the terminals. But uh, one would hope, and I say, people based like Argentina, Brazil, need this foreign currency very importantly. So I've got to believe that the governments will be doing everything they can in a calm manner, because you, just, you can't even imagine what would happen to the market if they did switch those terminals off, even for a few months. Yeah. Uh, and even, uh, even if, uh, uh, what I want to say is that the trip to Argentina or Brazil 
it's, uh, I mean, several weeks or so, I mean, uh, it's quite extensive. Uh, so I think that uh, people will understand at a certain point of time that uh, it does make sense uh, to have some people uh, in quarantine or to have some uh, vessels uh, uh, stopped in their ports and not exporting. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, none of these ports are closed at the moment. Um, you know, they're, they're all operating as far as we can see. Sure. All right, you know, obviously, we've talked a lot about demand, a lot of uncertainty. Fortunately, we have a little more visibility, I guess, <clears throat> around supply. So we've seen some accelerated scrapping during January, February, compared to the previous couple of years, especially during the first quarter. So given where rates are today and, and the uncertainty, as we discussed, around dry bulk demand, do you believe we'll see further scrapping here in the first half of the year? Kind of Hamish, I'll, I'll have you start on this. Sure. Uh, well, you know, look, I, I, I think in a normal situation with the market at these levels, you would see a lot of scrapping. And, uh, you know, the problem we're having is that Pakistani, Indian, and Bangladeshi uh, scrapyards are basically shut. Um, and sure. they're, they're essentially shut because the governments involved um, don't want the crews passing through their country. Um, you know, although I, you know, I, I can't imagine the crews are carrying more of the uh, COVID-19 virus than is already in those countries uh, already. But nevertheless, that's, that's uh, the strategy they seem to be taking. So at least for the time being, you cannot really scrap a ship in any of these countries, which are the highest bidders for scrap steel. Um, you know, I would guess that that changes pretty quickly and that we will see a bunch of scrapping, but for the moment, it's basically stopped. Okay. Hey, Lucas, you know, Safe Bulkers has that resale uh, with delivery expected soon. Uh, so obviously, you might have the most insight on, on this call in terms of several slowdowns, delays at these Chinese shipyards due to the kind of quarantine and the lockdown efforts in the last couple of weeks and months. So how is this uh, kind of affecting delivery schedules? How long are these current delays lasting? Um, and then how might this kind of help support rates here in the next few months and quarters? So both delays on the new build construction as well as on maybe scrubber retrofits and, and dry dockings and all these other things. So Lucas, if you want to start and if anyone else has color, yes. feel free to yeah, we, we, we have a very good uh, insight on that. Uh, first of all, our vessel, uh, uh, this is a vessel will be delivered um, in about mid of April without any delay. But uh, I expect on, in general there will be delays because uh, the production in China was, especially in China, the production was interrupted. And uh, so you could, in certain occasions, you couldn't even uh, move paints from the one side to the other. So if you want to do a repair, for example, you want some paints, maybe you couldn't get them. Uh, I think that uh, these uh, two, three months that uh, have passed the Chinese New Year and uh, until now, it was clear that uh, uh, only a few jobs were, uh, jobs were undertaken by Chinese shipyards, uh, in, also in terms of uh, scrubber fittings. 
And uh, gradually, I think that right now, CPLs uh, are coming back uh, to the normal operation by, by uh, having lifted uh, the quarantine for Chinese people, the internal quarantine for Chinese people uh, of 14 days that used to have. Right now, I think CPLs have, uh, let's say, the full personnel and uh, they can cope with the, I mean, uh, with uh, the gradual increasing uh, demand for dry dockings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this will take some time more. So I believe that the second quarter will be, there will be also uh, quite uh, uh, certain delays. In the third quarter, the situation will be normalized. In terms of uh, deliveries, I think that there will be delays in uh, in new ships. Anyone else uh, have some color on maybe uh, scrubber retrofit delays or ballast water treatment systems, dry docking delays, anything like that? Well, you know, we're just finishing up our scrubber installation program and, you know, we expect to be done with it uh, by the end of April. The, the, certainly there have been a tremendous number of delays. Um, you know, that's getting a lot better. The shipyards seem to be mostly back to work. And, um, you know, I, I, I expect that uh, it's not going to be a problem very, very much going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we note that the number of ships that are uh, getting scrubbers installed now sort of peaked in January and is headed down. Robert, any color on scrubber uh, installations? Oh, I would expect generally in shipping they would uh, slow down. I think that you know that would be not because of the yards capacity i would agree that with, with all the speakers that the yards will you know become more efficient and more capacity but with fuel oil prices where they are and where the spread is i think there would be less urgency for people to put scrubbers on in the short term and they would seek to delay where they can those scrubbers just simply on a, uh, a preservation of cash basis and I expect to see that across the industry, in, in tankers and in, in, in dry too. Yep. All right, you know, Robert, uh, while we have you here, you know, last month, Scorpio Bulkers announced the sale and lease back uh, agreements for, I think it was three vessels. Two weeks ago, Salt sold two Ultramaxes and one Campster Max. So a few, few questions here. First, what was the uh, kind of reasoning uh, behind these transactions? Second, are sale and lease backs an attractive method for capital raising and vessel financing? And then third, how have asset values been impacted by the recent market weakness? Okay, so when we first saw the signs of corona, you know, the potential for coronavirus, we, um, you know, we literally decided to, you know, promptly strengthen the balance sheet. So the quickest way to strengthen the balance sheet was to do a combination of sale leasebacks and sales and you know that we we felt was the the right thing to do as quick as possible um 
because we we still even today are uncertain about the longevity of this and the first thing to do is to it is as the speaker has said before you you can't really depend on the time charter market in dry cargo and you have to simply make sure that you have adequate liquidity cash on hand so those were the reasons for doing what we did um one would I think what's interesting when it comes to the third question is is not so much pricing. I mean, pricing will be discovered along the way here in that um, what I think is interesting in the market at the moment is that whereas at the end of November, December, there were very few what I would call traditional cash buyers. Um, I think one of the, the great hopes for the industry is there seemed to be a a lot of cash buyers around at the moment looking for bargains because they see the long-term recovery. Obviously, they would be looking at you know discounted prices, but um, I think that that's a positive sign that we're seeing you know cash buyers come out of the woodwork in the industry. And as companies, you know, if companies have, um, there may be less for sale this time compared to 2015 simply because so many of the public companies including ourselves don't have new building um, books you know we have fully funded balance sheets we have balance sheets that are in better order so i think that's you know that's where i would see some good strength in the industry at the moment okay thanks for the color on that Hey, Martin, uh, given the situation with COVID-19, you know, how have the day-to-day -day operations changed aboard the vessels? You know, should we expect any inefficiencies or expense increases related to either greater safety measures or, or precautions uh, in the coming weeks and months? Interesting question. It was, as it broke for, for us in Asia, obviously this kind of started middle of January and, and we immediately, went through our onboard protocols. We actually got hold of thermometers. Anyone that comes on board the ship, you limit and you try and do it. Obviously, you've had crew on board for three, four months. They're absolutely corona-free. So that, that is the advantage. But going forward now, of course, it, it's the where, where you have to do crew changes. Uh, to actually physically quarantine crew beforehand is quite difficult. We, we, you know, we're kind of doing what we can um, and also extending crew a, a, as much as possible. But the other issue, of course, is with the decline in air travel with more and more airlines packing up. How the hell do you actually get the crew to the ships and then off again? In, in, uh, and I think as Lucas referred to, I mean, certain countries, uh, they don't want to take the crew. I'm sorry, it was Hamish. But on the basis they've been on board for so long, they're, they're absolutely zero risk. So what we're exploring, people are exploring, is that how do you do quarantine from the airport to the ship and, and vice versa? So there are going to be inefficiencies. You are going to end up with ships with corona cases on board. And, and, and that means you could actually get dead ships, you know, literally not, not, not trading, which again is going to add to the mix of the market. Sure. Thanks for the color there. All right. Um, Stomatis, you know, IMO 2020 was the talk of the town, obviously, in 2019. Obviously, sent to the back burner here in the last few weeks and months with the tightness in the spreads, um, with everything else going on. Uh, that said, how has the new fuel regulation impacted dry bulk shipping 
and what fuel procurement strategies or hedging strategies have you employed to maybe lock in some of those fuel spreads? Well, um, first of all, for the non-scrubber fitted ships, I must say that the current levels of the very low sulfur fuel oil represent the unique buying opportunity. So we've seen them bouncing off the uh, bottom quite some time. I don't want to take a position on where the Brent or the WTI is going to go, but uh, surely at this kind of levels, you know, anywhere between 250 and 300, I think that the um, low sulfur fuels represent an amazing uh, opportunity. Now, <clears throat> discussing about uh, the strategy, I think uh, it's a little bit unfair because we're living into uh, uh, a situation where there's market disruption all over the world. So we started the year at $700 a spread, sorry, uh, 400, $450 a spread at the time. So it was very good for us because without having paid for the scrubbers, we're getting a very hefty um, profit sharing um, from the use of the scrubbers right now. There's no such thing as a profit sharing, but uh, you know, uh, at, at the current levels of um, the Cape size market, which is at $3,700 a day, whether you're making $3,700 for the non-scrubber fitted ships, or you're making um, five to five and a half thousand dollars for the scrubber fitted ships, <laughs> having paid uh, you know millions of dollars for the installation, I think it's it's kind of a surreal discussion. We just need to wait and see where the overall market is going to uh, stabilize and normalize, hopefully in the next few months, uh, both as a combination of where uh, the fuel spread is gonna go, as well as uh, you know, where the rates will finally end up, you know, hopefully soon. Sure. All right. Hey, um, Lucas, have you seen uh, obviously any increased um, demand or decreased demand for scrubbers with the whole tightening of the spread, although scrubbers apparently seem to be working well. And what are your thoughts on kind of fuel spreads going forward? Obviously in a low commodity price environment, remain, remain very tight, um, but do you expect an expansion here in the coming months? Yes, look, I mean, uh, we also are uh, uh, very close to complete our uh, uh, scrubber program. Uh, and uh, 15 out of uh, 20 scrubbers that we intended to install uh, were in full operation uh, the first uh, quarter and they made a lot of money with very good spreads, which now, as the demand uh, 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 for, uh, for oil has dropped and the price has dropped, of course, the spread is, uh, uh, is, is low. It's, it's quite significant still. Uh, what I believe is that uh, as we move uh, along, uh, when the market uh, improves and the demand of oil comes to to be at normal levels, I believe that also the spread will go back to where it used to be, about uh, 200 to 250. Uh, so I think that the people who have uh, installed the scrubbers uh, will have, let's say, this uh, very good uh, payback uh, uh, that they have uh, predicted for us. Uh, of course, uh, we followed a, a mixed strategy, so half of our fleet is with scrubbers, half of our fleet is without scrubbers, so let's say we are, let's say, risk averse and we did uh, both of those. The important thing for scrubbers is uh, the operations, and I tend to believe that uh, many people who have uh, cut uh, corners in their installations or in the selection, uh, they will face uh, difficulties in operations, which will be tremendous. Uh, they will face corrosion. 
and uh, so I think that uh, generally people who have installed scrubbers should be very careful uh, and uh, do very uh, thorough checks in their scrubbers, uh, if especially they haven't got them from a very uh, well, uh, let's say, a very known maker. Uh, so they may need to thoroughly check them because uh, uh, sooner uh, rather than later they will face problems. And ju just to add to what, what Lucas said, um, you know, uh, at the moment, obviously, the, the spread is terrible uh, and it's, it's related to low oil prices and it's related to basically very low demand for diesel, gasoline and jet fuel, which are the low sulfur transportation fuels. And, you know, there's a trade-off at the oil refinery between making low sulfur diesel, gasoline, and jet fuel and making low sulfur ship fuel. Um, and, uh, you know, right now the refinery is really happy to make lots of low sulfur ship fuel because it doesn't really have demand for the alternative low sulfur fuels. Um, so that should change. The other thing that should change uh, is the mix of heavy sour crudes in the world to light sweet crudes. The crude coming out of the United States is very light, very sweet crude, which produces very little high sulfur heavy fuel oil when it's refined. Um, and, you know, with the Saudis and the Russians pumping out oil as fast as they can, that's going to cause a lot of the light, sweet crude coming out of the United States to stop flowing, and a lot of heavy, sour crude from Saudi Arabia and Russia to flow at ever greater quantities, which is going to cause a lot more heavy, high sulfur fuel oil to be produced. So, you know, if we can make it through to the end of the coronavirus and see a, a, a resurgence in demand for diesel, gasoline, and jet fuel, I think the scrubbers will start to look good. Uh, you know, in the meantime, though, I agree with Robert, people who haven't installed scrubbers are seeing how they can delay the installation and save the money. Sure. That's fair. All right. Then looking at uh, kind of capital allocation, you know, in the last few weeks, you know, shipping, dry bulk in particular, has been hit by some panic selling and investors shedding anything with energy related or China exposure or just global trade, right? So in terms of your capital allocation strategy, are any of you taking advantage of the pretty steep price to nav discounts and repurchasing shares? Uh, why or why not? Hamish, we'll start with you, and if anyone else has uh, any additional color. Sure. Look, you know, if we were sitting on a big pile of cash, we would be thrilled to use it to buy back a big pile of shares. Um, you know, I wish we were sitting on more cash, um, but, you know, frankly, we, like, uh, like, uh, Robert at Scorpio Bulkers think the right thing to do is to strengthen our balance sheet right now. And as a result, you know, we're not in the market buying back stock right now, even though it's hacular buy. Sure. No, I, Anyone else? That, uh, yeah, Randy, I think, I think that the, you know, the, this is an exam facing us all in many ways. I mean, the, the, you know, the biggest exam we have as executives is to you know, keep, try and keep all our people safe. 
on board and, and sure. And the, the next exam is to try and keep our, our companies functioning, the operations of the companies functioning. And when it comes to the, you know, those two, we have to perform excellently. The, the challenge is incredible. When it comes to you know, the actual balance sheets of the companies and capital allocation, I think this is very simple. It's pass or fail. It's not about maximizing the opportunity for shareholder value right now. It's ensuring that the company gets through to a position where life is a little bit more predictable. And there will be an opportunity later. Generally, what would happen anyway is that the stocks are unlikely to trade at or above net asset value immediately even if um the whole corona the whole uh, covid-19 environment changed to the positive so there will always be the time to take advantage of that but right now it, it's it's very simply a pass fail examination for the balance sheets yeah well, that's fair we've gotten a lot of questions around cash burn and, and balance sheet and you know who who is going to survive so Go ahead, Lucas. Yes. Yeah, for sales riders, we have an active program. I mean, we have done a refinancing actions towards the end of the year. So basically, uh, we have done our homework uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, and uh, so we have an active program. Uh, we did uh, buy, buy backs of preferreds. We did, and we have a continuous active program on buyback of uh, formal stock which we recently expanded also to a press release that we have published. We feel that the price of our stock is extremely low compared to the asset values and also to the opportunities that the market will offer uh, when this uh, situation will uh, be resolved uh, maybe in a couple of uh, or three months uh, if, let's say, the states, they all states take consistent measures against the COVID. No, that's fair. Hey, Martin, uh, you know, given the, the recent rate weakness uh, and uncertainty surrounding uh, economic recovery, uh, will there be more opportunities for consolidation uh, when that recovery comes? And do you think this will actually occur? You know, how, how do you view consolidation in the space? A hot topic, interesting topic, yes, because of course, all, all our all the companies, uh, the, the valuations are being destroyed and incredibly cheap at the moment. But I think, as Robert said, I, I mean, uh, price evaluation, NAV evaluation has still to be determined as we go over the next few months. Um, I think it's premature. I think there's going to be a good opportunity of, of consolidation. And I would surmise that some companies who don't think they need to consolidate will be in that position where they're going to have to. So I have no doubt that, that, that strong companies who do survive with, with a shipping plan, i.e., ships, cargo, how you operate it, kind of get, get through this, we'll, we'll be in a good position. But it is really a survival and opportunities will arise. But I think that will, that will become apparent over the next few months in terms of who's in a position to go forward. And any consolidation, what you don't want to do, of course, is uh, you do consolidate, make it even worse. If you're going to consolidate, uh, it, it's uh, one and one has got to equal three. If it equals one and a half or even two, that, that's not clever. So yes, great, great opportunity. I still think a little premature at the moment. Okay. All right, we have five minutes to go, so we're gonna do a five-minute lightning round. So if each of you can answer each question 
in either one word or one number. So we'll, we'll keep it short. Five questions, five answers to each. Um, starting with the first, what will dry bulk ton mile demand growth or contraction be in 2020? Martin? I hate to say it, flat, I fear. Lucas? Flat. Stamatis? Well, I agree with flat, although I must say that uh, if the first quarter of the first half, we actually saw a contraction or reduction, that means that, um, you know, for the remaining of the year, we must see a massive uh, surge in um, ton mile demand. So, you know, we're very optimistic for second half of the year, overall flat. Yeah, kind of like what we saw last year. Uh, Robert? No idea. Hamish? Uh, it's not going to be up. Okay. Flat to down slightly. Um, Hamish, starting with you on the fleet growth, dry bulk net fleet growth in 2020. Dry bulk net fleet growth, I'm more optimistic. I think as soon as India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh open up their scrap yards, there's going to be a fair amount of scrapping. So I think fleet growth net is going to be, you know, order of 2%. And uh, with the reduction in speeds, net fleet capacity is going to be flat from last year, including the effective speeds. Yep. Robert, do you have an idea on this one? Uh, flat to uh, uh, flat to down, and probably you know further down than uh, Hames is indicating, because I think you're going to you're going to have operational dislocation too. Yeah. Sure. Well, I'm very optimistic on the larger sizes because, um, as we saw, VLOCs, Valamaxes, and the larger ships appear to be quite challenging in operations. We had another accident in Brazil. You know, one of, uh, you know, 2016 Hyundai built, um, you know, Valamax actually grounded, you know, and um, I think that the whole bigger ship uh, idea needs to be revisited, not just by Val itself, but for the International Maritime Organization and the Classification Society. Overall, I think, you know, it's going to be much better this year um, for the bigger sizes, not so good for the smaller ones. Okay, Lucas? I think it will be up, uh, let's say, the net increase by one, uh, one and a half percent. Uh, of course, uh, because the demand in the first, uh, let's say, half will be substantially lower, uh, the demand in the second half, because as, as I said, it will be almost uh, flat, uh, the demand uh, here, uh, it will be substantially higher. So I think that there will be a, a good opportunities uh, uh, let's say towards uh, third, to, uh, basically fourth quarter of next year, when most of the problems will be resolved. Okay, Martin. Uh, I think it'll be marginally positive in overall fleet growth, maybe one, one and a half percent. But again, as Robert said, others said, with, with the slowdown, the dislocations, and also in the back of my mind, I have a question mark about financing. Anyone who hasn't tied it up with what's going on in the cruise industry. And, and the problem that's going to present banks, I think banks are going to start looking at their shipping portfolios lending. So overall, it, I think it could be flat in that, maybe even be negative with, with all these factors put in together. Sure. All right, a couple more quick questions. We'll keep these answers very short. Just give me a number. Average Cape size or Panamax 
you know, you pick one, Cape Sizer Panamax spot rate for the next nine months. So the first three months, throw that out the window. The next nine months, average Cape Size or Panamax spot rate. Right now, Capes are 4,000, Panas maybe seven. Unscrubbed? Unscrubbed, no scrubbers, no scrubbers. Martin, what you got? Cape Size, 12, 13,000. Okay. Stomatis? 20, $20,000. Wow, for Cape Sizes, the next nine months. Yes. Strong. Um, Robert. This is what happened. This is what happened last year. Yeah. We saw it last year. I'm, I'm not saying it's not gonna happen. Uh Robert. No idea. All right. Hamish, play the game. Cape size Panamax average next nine months. Uh basically no idea, but you know, um yeah, in, in the teens, probably. Okay, and then I Lucas. I would say that uh, for Panamax and for Panamax that we care, it should be about uh, let's say eleven to twelve. Uh, for for Capes, we have only one uh, in the spot market that we are chartered. Uh, I would say maybe it will be about thirteen or fourteen. Perfect. Awesome. Well, hey guys, thanks so much. I think we just ran out of time. So I just wanted to thank uh, Capital Inc. for putting this together, the five panelists for answering all the questions, or at least most of them. Um, and for those who are watching, if you have questions, feel free to add them into the networking lounge. We will respond to those questions you know, right now, uh, as soon as you uh, submit them. We already see a few here on the screen. And uh, we look forward to uh, networking with you here in the future. Hopefully we'll see you in person at the next Capital Link um, event. In the meantime, be safe, stay healthy. God bless y'all. Thanks. Thanks, Randy. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. Thanks all. Good luck, everybody. Thanks. And stay home, man. Eh? Yeah. <laughs>